Good afternoon, Augusta and surrounding areas. Welcome to this edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As you are aware, over the last several weeks, all of our shows have focused on some aspect of COVID-19 and how it has affected our day-to-day living. We've talked about the education system. We've talked about state government services and how uh, the federal and state governments have responded. Um, This week, we are talking about a topic that uh, has been near and dear to my heart for quite some time, and that is the topic of domestic violence. Several years ago, when I worked in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina, uh, we actually had a department that provided services to victims of domestic violence. Uh, In that office, um, they uh, provided assistance in terms of finding places to live. Uh, They found uh, resources for counseling for the batterers and the victims. Uh, It was a comprehensive service designed to uh, reduce the number of domestic violence incidents in Mecklenburg County, North Carolina. We also did uh, a number of activities to build awareness in the community. In that particular area, we were in a situation where there were uh, women who were dying uh, as a result of domestic violence on a regular basis. It was not unusual for there to be at least one death a month from some type of domestic violence. So uh, that impressed upon me how serious this topic is. When I uh, start looking at the various effects of COVID-19, everybody's sheltered at home. Uh, One of the things that has been said frequently is that the rate of domestic violence has increased as a result of folks having to be at home. And I know one of the reasons is, you know, people saying, well, maybe the folks just don't like each other very much. Well, that might have something to do with it. But I think also a lot has to do with the fact that People are um, on edge. They may not know the next time they'll go back to work. They don't know where their next meal is coming from. They don't know where their next dollar is coming from. And that creates a lot of tension and a lot of stress, and that manifests itself in the form of violence. So today, I ask Miss Amy Hall, she is Executive Director of Safe Homes here in Augusta, to come talk to us a little bit more about the services that her organization's provides, what trends she's seeing right now. Uh, So, Amy, thanks so much for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, The first question I'd like to ask is if you could describe the mission of Safe Homes. Uh, Also tell us your primary funding sources, the number of families that you serve, how long you've been in existence, all those sorts of things. All right. Well, um, our well, let me start by saying this. We've been in existence for um, 36 years. Um, we actually started um, in Augusta. We're homegrown. Um, it was by a coalition of ladies um, that really saw a need in our area. And the very first time that um, they started taking crisis calls and, and working um, with different task forces, we provided the, um, services to about 50 women. Um, we moved on to about 1983 um, where we had increased that to about 500 women and then um, Safe Homes was born and bred from that um, working with the Junior League and the YMCA and so um, like I said we we were born and bred right here in the Augusta area. We service 10 counties um, ranging from 
you know, Blascock, uh, Burke, Jefferson, Wilkes, Warren, um, Tolliver. Um, so we have a large geographical area that we provide services to. And our mission is to transform victims of domestic violence into survivors. And we do that through education, um, awareness, and counseling um, and just offering a variety of services um, that we do provide that can help transform victims and so I will say that a lot of times I preference a victim being um, a female however um, we have found to be true that domestic violence you know um, does not discriminate it can happen to anyone at any age at, um, with any race and so we do provide services to men but we do primarily see women, so when I do talk about domestic violence, I always just want to kind of put that in there that even though I may reference them as women, it does happen to men as well. And so last year we provided a total of services to 1,672 victims. Um, so that just kind of shows, you know, the prevalence that of this issue in our area, and this does not include, you know, how many more are unreported. And we, that was through outreach services and shelter services. And last year, we also provided shelter to 207 um, victims who actually came and resided in our um, 30-day emergency shelter. Okay. All right. Uh, that's very helpful information. And so basically, this organization grew um, because a group of women recognized that there was a need. Yeah. And they did. And like I said, we started out with 50 um, when, when the organization first developed back in 19, it was actually 1979. And um, there was, it was a group of women who really saw a need. And I think that's how we probably established our home of state homes, because those that recognized that there was a need would actually take these ladies um, and if they had children into their home and they would reside with them for about two weeks. Um, but then I'm sure that as time went on, there was a you know a need to see that there was a lot more services that needed to be offered. Um, you know, I've always said, and and we've seen it to be true that domestic violence, you know, I, I kind of the imagery I get is like a, a onion. It's just a large um, issue to you know unfold and to peel, and that you know really getting down to the results and the and the the reasoning behind domestic violence and um so yeah um you know it also um i believe included in that was um um judge will he was um a very much of an integral part in the development of safe homes as well Okay. Yeah, and that's good to know. That's encouraging for people in the community, which is to say, basically, if you see a problem, if a group of folks can join together and make a commitment to solve the problem, they can make a huge difference. So from something that started in 1979, now here we are in 2020, the organization is still growing strong and still providing services to, you know, over 1,600 families per year. That's pretty remarkable. And that says that uh, we really can work together to solve problems if we try hard enough. Absolutely. So tell me, how long have you been in the executive director role there? Um, I've been with Safe Homes um, going on my 15th year. Okay. All right. Excellent. Excellent. Um, When I started, I actually started as the finance director, um, which, you know, my background's in finances, and I love that. Um, But then I was able, um, after about a year and a half of being here, um, was 
actually asked to um, take on the um, executive directorship and something that I never thought I would do. Um, but I, 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 like you, have just such a passion um, for the men and women that we serve and, and also recognize the need um, in our community. And so I'm so very thankful um, to have this opportunity to serve in this capacity. Okay, wonderful. And in terms, since you're the finance director, I know you've been thinking about funding sources. So, uh, tell me, where does your where did your funding come from in order to be able to provide services to so many families? Um, primarily, our funding um, is from um, federal government, and we also get um, state and local dollars. Um, we also um, look for various ways to um, raise unrestricted funds because. You know, any of anybody that knows, like with grants and different things like that, it's very restricted, um, and you can only really purchase and um, do things that that grant, you know, allocates and allows you to do, especially with the federal dollars. And so, we also have um, events, and we have a great community support that offers some third-party events for us. So we do make sure that we. Um, raise some unrestricted dollars and we do that primarily through our annual event called Fake It to Make It. Um, we also call it Fit Me and as well as we also do a personality night um, with a local, um, we partner with a local radio station with WAFJ and um, and we usually try to get like a Christian uh, comedian or some sort of comedian to come in and we just really have um, a really good night for a girls' night out, if you will. Um, last year we had um, 400 people, um, women, to actually attend, and we raffle off um, purses that are filled with just a bunch of goodies from our local businesses here, and um, it's just a fun, good night, um, and it's nothing more empowering for me personally just to be in that room and hearing the laughter of, you know, four to 500 women Um and just, uh, you know, it's very lighthearted, even though we're definitely talking about a um, a topic that's not fun. Um, but it's nice just to be able to get together as a community to come together um, and, and then raise local dollars to help us uh, continue to provide these services. Yes. And, you know, I, I actually attended Fake It to Make It uh this last most recent time that was the first time i had been to that event and it was so entertaining that was one of the best evenings of entertainment i've had in a long time and i'm glad it was a successful fundraiser for you um let's talk a little bit about COVID 19 and and us being sheltered in place Uh, i have heard as i referenced earlier that um, domestic violence has gone up as a result of uh, all of us being at home and under the kind of stress that, that many of us are. Uh, have you seen evidence of that in your day-to-day work? Well, you know, at the very beginning of all this, um, we actually saw a decrease in calls and crisis calls and people um, reaching out for services. And I was, you know, quite shocked um, to say the least, because I really thought we would really be seeing a uptick of calls. And it really dawned on me that, you know, as people are being quarantined and furloughed and, um, you know, uh, people not being able to go to work and and to get out and about, um, the victim and the abuser are spending a lot more time together. And so what that alleviates is maybe her having a safe time or a safe place to be able to reach out to us. And so 
as we've gone through this process, um, we have now started to see a surge of calls come in. Um, we went from one to two people that was residing in our shelter now to being full, um, and we still have, and we do have some placed in um, hotels um, around the area. So we're definitely starting to see. Um, a surge, if you will, in the calls, and I really believe that once the shelter-in-place um, is, you know, released and, and people can go back to work, and um, I think we'll we'll definitely see more calls come in. Okay. Okay. And um, is the type of violence similar to what you've seen before, or have the characteristics of it changed any? Is it more severe? You know, or is anything different about it? Or is it pretty much just the same stuff? Yeah, I would say it's the same stuff. Um, you know, we see all types of abuse. There's, you know, um, four or five different abuse, you know, that we see on a regular basis. Um, and I, I would venture to say that we're still seeing a lot of those same you know, types of abuse reoccur. Um, I just think it's different, you know, I think about the kids, you know, that being out of school and what they're witnessing now at home, um, you know, because school was a safe place for them. Um, so I, I worry a lot about what the kids are witnessing um, in their homes and if they're experiencing any kind of child abuse. Um, but again, you know, for the victim, you know, if she's not being able to um, go to work or um, be able to reach out to family and friends during the day, but maybe that was her safe place, you know, I, I would venture to say with all the stressors like you talked about, the furloughs and not knowing where the next meal is going to come from or um, just the, you know, now having to take on not early, not only are we, you know, mothers and then trying to keep peace in our home but now we're teachers because we're all homeschooling you know our children so i think that there's a lot more stressors um that i think can exasperate violence in our homes okay um and and all that is very very uh challenging creates a set of challenging circumstances for all of us um if you are in a situation where you've been victimized um are there ways that the person who is being subjected to that type of abuse can de-escalate the situations themselves? Or do you all, uh, are there any recommended strategies for um, creating a better sense of safety for yourself in those homes? Well, I think that a victim knows far more better than anyone um, what can cause an offset of violence in her home or in their home. And so, you know, we just encourage them to, to still try to find, um, you know, safe communication channels um, outside of the home that they can still connect um, with others, um, you know, to look for various ways to kind of, you know, be creative and try to de-escalate, you know, anything that's going on in the home that could get the um, abuser, you know, irate. And I want to say that, though, but I want a victim to understand that there is nothing that she has done and nothing that she can do to prevent, you know, an abuser who has power and control. And I think a lot of times, you know, even when we're talking about this, you know, the victim seems to... Um, 
establish the thought that this is their fault and it's not. And so even when during this time when they're trying to keep the peace at home, if they can't, then it's not their fault. I think an abuser looks for any way possible and leverages anything that's going on um, worldwide or even in our community, um, you know, that can provide power and control. For instance, you know, we've heard that um, one of the ladies had had mentioned that, you know, she was worried about with COVID-19 because if she risked getting sick, that he was going to kick her out. You know, so then, you know, she's got to constantly worry about where she's going, what she's doing. Am I getting sick? Am I being exposed? Because he's going to kick me out. Then me and my children don't have anywhere to go. And so, you know, I think that an abuser looks for any way, you know, to, to, to have that power and control. And there's, you know, she may look for different ways to try to keep things um, from being intensified in the home, but it's not her fault. And I think that's just been very important for them to, to understand, a victim to understand that, you know, um, they seem to self-blame because they've been blamed for, you know, the incidents going on in the home. But, we, you know, we just keep encouraging to look for um, ways to remain safe, to look for ways to stay connected um, to your loved ones or to a friend that you can truly trust and look for those you know, safe communication channels, if you will, because again, he's at home and you don't want to do anything that's going to, um, you know, give the abuser any kind of, you know, sense that she may be reaching out for help. Uh, yes, uh, thank you very much for sharing that. Uh, that is very uh, critical for folks to understand is that the victims are often folks who have been blamed for anything and everything. They feel like whatever uh, happens, somehow they created that circumstance. A lot of times ignoring whatever may have gone on in the past of the abuser. Uh, there are probably reasons that he or she is things that they're angry about and have been uh, tortured by themselves that makes them more likely to lash out at the next weakest person, which is their domestic partner. So um, that is very, very helpful for you to point out. Uh, One of the reasons that I established this radio show was to uh, build a sense of civic engagement. I want folks to feel like they aren't powerless in terms of controlling their uh, quality of life. And the example you cited with the ladies who created this organization to begin with, uh, they took the power in their own hands and did something about a problem that existed in the community. Um, while we look at what ordinary citizens in the Augusta area can do if they have a passion for helping those who uh, find themselves being victimized in the home, uh, are there opportunities that Safe Safe Homes provides for ordinary citizens to help? And uh, do you use volunteers? Can you talk to us a little bit about how anyone who's interested in this issue uh, can um, provide assistance to uh, the victims as well as to yourself as director of this organization? Absolutely. Um, we do um, love volunteers. Um, you know, they are the ones who provide that extension for us, if you will, um, to continue to provide services because, uh, again, we see a lot of people and we provide a lot of services. And so anytime that we can have volunteers to come in and help, um, you know, that's just advantageous 
you know, for the agency and, you know, for the victim. And so there are several ways that you can, um, you know, volunteer. We have a lot of opportunities uh, from if you'd like to do administrative work to um, helping with different fundraising events to providing you know, direct services um, to a victim, to being able to go out and, like I said, we service 10 counties, and so really a lot of awareness events that we um, we have on a monthly basis from table setups to speaking engagements. So we're looking, we're always needing help with that, and we're looking to establish um, a speaker's bureau because there's many times that, you know, there's a lot, there's a bigger need than what we can supply for um, being out in the community. Um, so, you know, anyone who loves to, to speak um, would be well appreciated. Um, we do provide volunteer trainings for um, these kind of opportunities because when you're a volunteer, we want to make sure that you're equipped um, with one, how the agency functions and um, so that you're comfortable with volunteering in whatever capacity. Um, and then there's about a 20-hour training um, that really just gives you the, the pros and cons of volunteering here, the, you know, our policies and how to really interact um, with a victim, you know, because a lot of times when you're in that role, um, they want to share their story. And so making sure that, you know, our volunteers are equipped, you know, of how to approach those situations um, and, and, and to respond. And so there's... There's many opportunities um, to volunteer. We also, um, you know, for anyone who's listening that may be still, you know, in college and they need to get their internship um, hours, we love to have um, interns to volunteer with us as well. And they do get a lot of opportunity to provide that direct service. Okay. All right. Very good. So if someone is interested in volunteering with you, um, how do they get in touch with you to express that interest? Um, there's two ways. Um, of course, they can always call um, our hotline number, which is 706-736-2499. And they can also visit our website at www.stakehomesdvforgomesticviolence.org. And there's a volunteer um, tab there that they can actually go and um, download the application and complete it and either mail it in. Um, we do have a... Um, outreach coordinator who oversees um, all of our volunteers so she would be the one to reach out and then set up an interview time all righty. As we prepare to close, I want to give you an opportunity to share anything else uh, with us. If there's anything that uh, you would love to share with our listeners, uh, please feel free at this time to go ahead and share that with us now. All right. Well, really, I just, every opportunity that I get, you know, I always want to ask people to visit our website and learn more about domestic violence and the warning signs. Um, I think it's all of our responsibility as good citizens to be mindful, you know, of this topic and how we can be there to help um, others. Um, you know, we've always said domestic violence, it is your business. Um, it affects all of us. And I can guarantee you that every listener um, of this radio broadcast probably knows someone um, who's been victimized. And so really just making sure that, you know, everyone knows that Safe Homes is a resource um, to please, you know, if you don't know how to personally help them, always just send them um, straight 
strike us um, because we are here. We're 24-7. Um, our crisis call, um, our crisis line is 24-7. So anytime you call, there's a live person on the other end of the phone. And we're here to offer a non-judgmental ear and, you know, just really to be a safety net and provide some safety planning um, with a victim. And, you know, during this COVID-19 pandemic, as, as we continue on, you know, really just being mindful of our neighbors. Um, I had... Um, one survivor to tell me, you know, if this would have been happening to me while I was still in my marriage to my abuser, he would have beat me every day and no one would have known. And that really has struck a chord with me to make sure that we're really mindful and watchful and, you know, you know, care for our neighbors. Technology has been a wonderful thing through this, but sometimes there's still just that need to reach out personally to you know, be of a help with someone. So if you know of anyone, um, please let them know that Safe Homes is a resource. Again, our, our crisis hotline number is 706-736-2499. And you can also reach out to us through our website, which again is www.safehomesdv.org. Okay. And you said a couple of things that are really important. I want to reiterate. You said on your website, there are tips for identifying abusers. So that, uh, you know, the, what, what to look for. Did I hear that correctly? Um, you know, well, what's on there is like warning signs. So, warning signs. Okay. you know, if, if you are a victim and, you know, sometimes a victim doesn't know that she's a victim. So on our website, um, there are um, different tabs where you can get help, learn about, uh, you know, safe homes, learn about the warning signs of domestic violence and what that looks like. So that if you know someone and you start seeing these little warning signs, that they send little red flags up so that you know how to reach out, one on her behalf and or two to give her, you know, safe home's number for them to call. Okay. And you said there is somebody available at that phone number 24-7. So if it's the middle of the night, um, you are fortunate enough that your abuser is not present, you can make a phone call at midnight and somebody will pick up the phone? We are 24-7. Um, we run three shifts here. So anytime someone calls um, our crisis hotline number, um, they will be able to go ahead and speak to an advocate at that time. Okay. Great, great. Thank you so much, Amy, for being my guest today. Uh, I have learned a good deal about safe homes, even though I knew some things. I've learned more. I certainly hope this has been informative for our audience. And uh, we just appreciate everything you're doing to make uh, the CSRA a better community for its residents. Well, I thank you for what you're doing and, and bringing awareness to this topic. Um, I appreciate that because anytime we can talk about it and, and, and our community learn more about it, that's just more advantageous for our victims in our community. So I appreciate that. All right. Thanks. Take care. So um, now let's talk a little bit about my favorite topic, which is the census. Um, in case you didn't know how well your county is doing in the census, want to provide you with a little information. Uh, Columbia County is actually one of the leading counties in the state of Georgia in terms of response. So far, 57% of their households have responded to the census. Next in our area is McDuffie County at 47.3%. Uh, Richmond County is coming in at 
Uh, and then you get to the very low end of the response. And these are the ones that I'm particularly concerned about. Uh, you look at Jenkins County right now, only 22% of households have responded. And our friends in Hancock, unfortunately, so far, only 19% have responded. So that gives you some idea of the diversity of our region. On the higher end, you have those counties that are larger uh, and um, presumably have a more well-educated, uh, wealthier population. On the lower end, you've got the more rural counties uh, that have not been able to uh, submit those forms and have not made it a priority uh, to submit that information. Uh, one of the things I think I mentioned in a show a couple of weeks ago was that for those residents who live on rural routes, they haven't even received a census form. So uh, the it is the degree of difficulty in getting that information back uh, is much greater when you don't even have the form in front of you. You don't have the phone numbers and so forth. Some of them don't have internet access. Uh, so there are a lot of barriers out there to uh, completing the civic duty, which is completing that census. Uh, when we talk about um, this is something that takes roughly 10 minutes to do uh, and you can get it done um, to affect what happens to you in the next 10 years. Very important. As we close, uh, please uh, remember to go to my website, JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. If you'd like to leave any suggestions about uh, future shows, as well as you're interested in sponsoring our show, please go there. I close as usual with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making to make sure that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. because local matters. <music>